Hello and welcome to Where is the Church Prison Edition. Now we know that we are in the midst of a pandemic and life has changed so much for so many people but there are those who are still in need of our help, our support uh, and we know very well that the church is not a building so when the buildings close the church still continues and so what we really want to do and aim to do with these sessions is highlight some of the needs that are still uh, with us and hopefully we want to solicit your support. Our aim and our vision is to to galvanise people with an interest in mentoring, helping and, and spiritually reviving those, especially in the area of prison ministries, and to galvanise us to work together in order to support those who are in our spheres of influence. And so today we have a very special guest Paul Frampong. I had an interview with him and what he had to share was very amazing. I hope it inspires you and challenges you and I hope by the end of it you will, like me, be willing to say yes, what can I do because I am the church. Okay, hello. I'm here with Paul Frampong. Um, I know him in the sense that He's always connected with mentorship um, and helping young people, specifically those who are in gang-related um, culture and really working in this area. One of the, the most uh, well-known programs that I know that you do, Paul, is called Boys to Men. Um, and so perhaps um, you can tell us just a little bit about who you are, uh, what you do, what are some of the programs that you run, um, and then we can just uh, take it from there, really. Cool. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor, for allowing me to come on this program. So, yeah, my name is Paul Frempong. Um, I attend the North Wembley SDA Church. Been there 12, yeah, 12, 13 years now. Um, but on career-wise, I, I work with young people. We've been doing it for the last 18 years. Um, I currently work for Brent council and the youth offending team doing work with young offenders and gangs in the bar with Brent. Been there, this December would be five five years. Prior to coming to Brent, um, I worked in a secondary school in Hackney as the head of year. I was there for about for, yeah, nine and a half, ten years. And yeah, this doing work um, group work around people's personal development and personal achievement, doing parenting work. We again work with the young offenders, work with the local gangs in, in Hackney. But I've, oh yeah, I've always had a passion for young people from a young age. So um, yeah, I just enjoy what I do. And on um, a side thing, I also run my own ministry, as you mentioned, Pastor Boys to Men. Boys to Men, finally, it started in 2016 through the Youth Federation. So I was part of the Youth Federation team at that time with myself, Shereen Rodney, um, George from Lee Valley Church. Yeah, we had um, Asha McKenzie. And so I came up with an idea to have a, 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 a men's day for young boys, like Boys to Men's Day, where we talk about their different areas of, of their development. Because at that time, we had a lot of complaints um, that young boys are leaving church, not finding it relevant. So, um, yeah, this had, that day was very successful. We had Pastor Ray speak, Clarence Jackson, one of my friends, Gwenton, who did work around gangs. 
and I did a workshop around education. And from then, um, I just formed it into a ministry. And my second project was to do a knife crime tour from 2017 all the way to 2019, where, where I went around different churches to discuss knife crime um, to parents and to young people, just educating them about the dangers of following gangs and, and carrying knives. And that was very successful. And yeah, worked with Pastor Fuller for a few years as well on his knife crime strategy. So yeah, just had a lot of experience in the church and in the community um, doing this work with um, different organizations to address um, knife crime and gangs. So definitely that, that comes through pretty loud and clear when you mm. uh, state what you've been doing there is a general theme there um, mm. but perhaps maybe you can share with us a little bit about how you got into okay. this area what what was sort yeah. of your passion what what drove you um, into this as a field I think for me it's my um, upbringing so I grew up in Hackney um, in what I would say from the 1980s all the way to 2002 so I grew up in a council flat in Dalston and the friends that I grew up with, they were involved in like that lifestyle themselves. So gangs, selling drugs. Luckily, because my parents, they were very strict Adventists. So they were always on to me about going to school, um, um, going, you know, to get qualifications and not being too much involved in the streets. But at the same time, funny enough, <laughs> a lot of my church friends, they were involved in that lifestyle as well. So despite of me going to church, I had a lot of friends. So I, I grew up in a Ghana, Ghana church. So the Ghana church was started by, by my dad in the 80s um, with five guys in, in a house in where, where I used to live in Dalston. And it then went on to, you know, to have more branches around London today and England. But for me, it was like, though I grew up in church, I had my friends from the streets who were living that lifestyle. But for me, though I was with them, I wasn't really necessarily with them. I was like the, the nerd or the good boy among the bad boys, if that makes sense. So it's like, I'll see them do things at a certain way, but I wouldn't do those things. I would sit there or stand there and watch. And as I got older, I realized, you know, a lot of them started to go into prison. And my thing was like, um, what can I do kind of like to kind of help the new generation that was coming up. And so I thought, you know what, let me kind of try to break the cycle by like, you know, offering my service um, in terms of like mentoring. So I started doing mentoring in the Ghana church when I was about 21. Um, and I enjoyed it, man. It's working with some of the young boys who were like 13, 14 at that time, who were kind of involved again in that same lifestyle, even though they were going to church. Um, so I would mentor them, bring them to my house and just kind of chat with them. But at the same time, I was also working um, in a local youth club um, in Hackney where, again, working with the local gangs, um, you know, young people involved in, you know, offending. And yeah, just through that passion of knowing that, you know, as a black, young black man who's kind of been able to kind of, though I grew up around that, I was able to get my degree, get my master's, but at the same time, it's like, I wanted to give back and say, you know what, guys, man, you don't have to follow the kind of stereotype. Because when I was younger, you used to some even hacking, they were like, What are you a gang member? Are you this? And it's kind of that like stereotype. But I was like, no, okay, I'm hackney, but at the same time, I've been able to kind of um live a different pathway from what you see on TV or, or what you see in the newspaper. So for me, that's where the passion came from. My own upbringing grew up in a gang-affected area, such as hackney. Yeah, that, that's pretty interesting because from what I'm hearing you saying, mm. 
where you grew up, uh, especially on a council estate, you're surrounded by this culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. This, this gang culture. Um, you kind of hinted that you you may have assumed it may not have been there in church, but yeah, yeah, yeah. you, you kind of found that it was there in church. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and the, the turning point for you then seems to be that a lot of your or people that you knew, yeah. maybe your friends perhaps started to, to go into prison. Yeah, I wonder yeah. as yeah. as a young person growing up then, how did that actually feel? Because a lot of these people. I don't know how close they must have been to you, mm, but there mm. certainly would be people that you're cognizant of, that you're aware of. Yeah, yeah. Um, now you could have taken two choices. You could have you could have said, "Well, boy, you know what? That's that's what you get for your bad decisions." Mm, 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 or you actually made a, a conscious effort to say, "Nah, this this isn't the only way that." Um, life can turn out for you let me try and invest mm. what made you go down the the second part after seeing people going to prison and and so forth yeah, yeah. why did you choose that mm. side as opposed to just saying you know what your choices your mistakes live with your consequences yeah I think for me um um the wake-up call was probably uh, for me it was more like Paul this is not you man like you know, this is not for you. And and in terms of like, you know, the, the gangs and like the criminal activity that a lot of my friends were involved in. But at the same time, I, I just felt, you know what, man, like um, when, when the Bible talks about, oh, you know, you are the salt of the earth. Like for me, it's more like, how do I then kind of like give back? Because my parents were big on that. They came from Ghana. They were like the first generation of Ghanaians that came to England. And when they came to England, they always made sure that other Ghanaians that came after them were supported and, you know, giving them resources, food and whatnot. So for me, it's more like, okay, though I grew up in this environment and I can be ignorant and be like, you know, because it's their choices, I thought, you know what, what can I do to kind of like, yeah, break the cycle, man, like really break the cycle and, and give back. Because at that time, I, I know, for example, working in a secondary school, at that time, there wasn't really a lot of black teachers, black males going to that field of work, you know? So I just thought, you know what, it'd be amazing to go back. So the, the school that I worked in for nine years was in Hackney in my local area that I grew up in. So for me, it was amazing. When I saw the job opportunity, I thought, you know what, why not go back there and kind of like give wisdom and knowledge and show the kids kind of like the dangers of this lifestyle, but at the same time also show them the alternative pathway that you can still be cool and get a degree. So for me, that was a thing like giving them a different narrative rather than, yeah, I could have said to myself, you know what, forget this. I don't need, I don't need, I don't need to go back there. I could do it. I can be, you know, follow on another career where I don't have to deal with that and have my own life. But I think when you know your calling, and I think at a young age, I kind of knew my calling was to work and inspire and help people. So I just felt like convicted to follow that calling and to do what I do now. Yeah, that that's that's really amazing. So so you've kind of grounded in this idea that it's not just about you, but it's it's making sure that those who come after you can, yeah, can have yeah. that 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 same experience and recognize, yeah. you know, cool is not just a gang lifestyle. You yeah, can yeah. you could be cool and, and yeah, do yeah. different things. Yeah, yeah. Um Absolutely. so you're working in this area. What would you mm. say then is perhaps the the biggest challenge that you're mm. you're facing today in terms of making a difference what what do mm. you find is the the major obstacle barrier whatever you want to call it yeah. um i think for me 
you know, working with a lot of the cases I work with now, a lot of the cases are very complex. Um, so what am I, what I mean by that? And often like we see a young person, so I work in a court system and, you know, we have to write reports for the judge before a young person gets sentenced. So a young person will get arrested, um, they're given a court date and then um, they, come and, they come into court, the court system, and the judge will say, okay, pour on your tea, I want you to write a report before I sentence him. And what often happens, we will then sit down with a young person and go through his kind of like life story um, initial report about his education, his family. And what you often see is that these kids, um, though their behavior is bad, like let's say, okay, this, he's carried a knife, that's why he got arrested. But when you look at the backstory, the narrative behind why they do what they do, um, you kind of see that this is very um, complex. So you've got young black boys who are from broken homes where dad is not around, dad might be in jail. Um, they haven't grew up with a male role model, mum is struggling, single parent. They live in a council estate where it's poverty. They live in a state where there is gang culture, which is normalised. So for us, it's like, that's wrong. Don't carry a knife. Don't follow the gang. But for him, as a child, growing up in primary school, this is normal that people hang around this estate and they smoke weed. And so what I'm finding is that a lot of our young people that I'm working with, they come from complex issues and, and complex backgrounds. So, you know, for example, with my work, I meet, the young person once or twice a week to do one-to-one -one intervention work. But the reality is, man, that to those two appointments is not enough. You know, they go back to that world. So they come to the Civic Centre. The Civic Centre of Wembley is like a, it's our council centre, which is very posh, next to Wembley Stadium. So they come and they have an intervention with myself, but then they go back to the area, i.e. the Housens, where, you know, house is one of the most and dominant areas of where gangs and drug dealing going on. And they, they live with that reality. And so often enough, it's like the intervention that we give to them, it's, it's not enough to cover all the complex issues. I mean, though we work with different agencies to address housing or, or you know, education, but I, I, I'm seeing that a lot of these issues, a lot are, like, for example, trauma, that'd be a great example. A lot of these kids have gone through trauma. So going back to that point about not having a father or being sexually abused, emotionally abused, um, um, physically abused. So you can see that these kids, um, because of these issues, underlining issues that they've gone through through their childhood, um, um, it makes it very difficult to work with them. Another thing that for me is that's quite challenging is that it seems like when it comes to knife crime, for example, a lot of our kids are living in fear or don't have any fear at all. So those that the ones that don't have no fear, for example, like carrying a knife to them is like normal. It's like pick up your school bag and you're going to school. There's no fear. Like they take their knives to um to school, take it when they see their friend, they will take it when they go to parties. And it's like back in the day, when we used to go parties, like no one would ever think about carrying knives, like going to see a girl, get a girl's number. Now the boys of today carry weapons as like, like, it's just normal now. And people are living in fear where parents now are scared to let their kids go to the local park or go to the shop because they're scared that their child might get stabbed or robbed, you know? So I think just the fear among our young people and just how they think, it, it definitely makes it difficult to work with a, a generation that has not, not only has complex needs, but also has um, way they think is just different like their moral grounding just totally different. So it's very hard to get through into them because in their minds, like they're very entrenched at age 30. And it's like, you're only 30, but yet you have these views that you have about gangs and knives. It's like, wow, you know, where, what have you been exposed to to make you feel 
that way or see life in such a way. But it's like, again, maybe it's that that background and this, it, things being normalised that has allowed them to think that this is okay. Yeah, and as you're talking there, I'm just wondering um, the the whole situation that we're we're in at the moment with COVID um, mm. essentially means that we are now isolated back into those environments. Yeah, so yeah, we may yeah. be, you know, shut up in in a place where we're experiencing abuse, <coughs> both physical yeah, and, and domestic. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, you're in a position where the the absent fathers, that issue mm, is compounded mm, again. Mm, mm. I wonder in your work, have you mm. seen if what impact COVID has actually made in terms mm. of how um, the the culture has impacted gang gang life mm. Or, mm. or or the how these boys respond to it? Mainly boys, anyway. Yeah. Um, not really. I think to be honest, I think with the gangs, um, they since COVID, they've become more sophisticated in terms of like how. Because a lot of the gangs, for example, are involved in um, a thing called I'm not sure you heard about this called county lines. So county lines is a thing where young people and adults, I should say as well, are drug dealing outside of London. So they're called the county lines. Um, but they're trafficking young people in cars in London. To these county lines, i.e., Reading or Essex, to sell drugs in, in in drug houses, but in terms of like you know, offending and the arrest, it's still the same. Like nothing has really changed, uh, um, to my knowledge. Working in Brent, like a lot of the kids are still doing what they're doing. Um, and I'll say the first two months of COVID, when we had strict restrictions, um, we didn't hear too much because young people weren't allowed at the house. You know, so a lot of times when I would call a young person, I'm at home, not doing much, you know, they're not really outside too much. But I think when they were lifted from, was it May? Like maybe early May, beginning May, um, the kids were kind of got back to that normal lifestyle. And and yeah, we've seen a surge of young kids now carrying weapons, getting arrested for um, cannabis. So um, yeah, May, things have gone back to normal, to, I would say, to be honest. Wow. So the the problem is there, and basically it sounds like what you're saying, intensive support is needed. And of yeah. course, yeah. Um, government programs and so forth, mm. they, they don't have the funding, the, the right. human right. resources to try and do that. Um, so it, it really requires a bit more of a, it takes a village to raise a, yeah, a, a child sort of mentality. Absolutely. Um, now I'm I'm guessing perhaps this is where a local church could be quite mm. um, helpful. Uh, what mm-hmm. what would be your thoughts on that? I think yeah, absolutely. I, I think though the one of the struggles though with, with our churches and um, community issues like like this is that there seems to be a bit of a, a detachment. Um, I feel that like, to a certain degree we, we live in a bubble. And I think that makes it a barrier for us to really engage with these issues. So, for example, when I started the knife crime tour, one of the elders in my church was like, Paul, are you sure you should bring this to the church? And then one mm. of the members was like, why? Like, what are you talking about? Like, our, our young kids are mixing with these, like, you know, some of our young kids are involved. What, what, why, why would you ask Paul that question? And um, it was quite telling because when I did the tour, each time I would go to a church, I would get a parent who come up to me privately to say, Paul, my son is involved in this lifestyle. What do I do? Can you imagine now? I went to a church, I'm not naming the church, I went to a church 
And I had a, uh, I was doing a PowerPoint on knife crime, and I had a picture of a victim who was involved and murdered um, through knife crime, not knowing that boy went to that same church. So one of the members was like, the boy's mum, be careful, is she's in the back of the church. And I was like, so I was in it with Mark Prince, and I was like, what? And then the mum then stood up and said, can I have the mic, please? And I thought, oh gosh, she might, you know, have a go at me. Then she said, Paul, that's that's my son. Um, he used to come to this church, suit it up. But when Sabbath was done, he would live another lifestyle and he died. And she was in, she had tears in her eyes. And that became the theme of, of the tour, parents disclosing that their um, kids or family members or people that they know are involved in that lifestyle. And, and, and I feel for me, um, there is a role for the church to play. But I think the starting point, first and foremost, we have to accept that, that there is an issue. Um, I'm not saying, I won't say it's a large problem, but there are sections of young people pockets of young people are, who are involved. For example, I went to a church to do a similar tour uh, approach, oh sorry, program and one of the pastors said to me, Paul, like knife crime in London? Is that, is that happening? I'm looking at him like, mercy like, what, what, where are you living? You know, and, and it's like, you know again, it's that issue of detachment and I think sometimes as a church member whether you're a, Pente a Pentecostal Adventist, we come to these communities park our cars, make these noises and we go home and we don't actually know what's going on in these communities. So for example, when I started working in Brent in 2015, I made sure um, um, I knew the community. I, I made sure I knew the barbershop. I made sure I knew the Caribbean. I made sure I knew all the hotspots so I can understand the trends and uh, the movements of this community. So I, I know how best to deliver what interventions and, 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 and what approach we best use in this community. And I think a lot of times the church, we have a lot of ideas that we don't, but because we're not among them, we do not know the needs that they actually need. And I think that's where the issue is. And so I, I think that um, the churches definitely have the role to play in terms of like partnership, because there are a lot of organizations that do this work, whether it be the police, social service, or, or mentoring charities, but it's, it's about us going out there, going to the local councils and saying, guys, like we are church, um, we like to offer us something, whether it be through the men's ministry, um, setting up mentoring for the kids in school that are challenging or the kids in the youth club that are challenging. It's about having that kind of partnership. But we have to show, do more to understand or be among them, I should say, to understand their needs. Then we can then plan a strategy to based on what they've told us. <laughs> Paul, you you said a lot there. Let, let me um <laughs> let me let me try and uh, process some of this information. So, yeah. so the detachment that you're talking about, yeah. based on some of the the, the statements that you made, there mm. seems to be um two things come to my mind. Mm. Basically, there's a there's a, a, an ignorance. Maybe yeah. it's willful. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's not. Yeah. But that kind of shows us it's a problem over there. Yeah. This is not a problem inside yeah. here. Yeah. That's actually compounded because mm. you mentioned the whole idea of coming privately, which, which seems to suggest to me that this is not an issue that's easy to, to speak about within churches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. 
the parents who may be struggling, the the, the kids who may be um, feeling the pressure to go in the county mm. lines or whatever it may be, the church is not going to know about it because it's not a place where you 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 talk. We're not comfortable about messy, speaking. Messy, about messy, messy, yeah. So based on that, then based on what you're saying. There is massive potential for the church to do great good, which they yeah, need to yeah. do, because one, this issue is inside the church, not just outside yeah, yeah, the church. Yeah. yeah. But also two, be, because we we need to create more safer spaces. Yeah. Yes. Um, absolutely. For 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 the community to see a, a different narrative mm. uh, and a, a a different way of of living life. Mm. Um, now, here, here is where where do we begin with that? Like, how do we begin changing culture within our local churches? Well, that's a that's a big question. There, um, I think it, it it starts with programs like this, programs like this that what you're what you're doing, um, and just doing a lot of education. I think one of the, one of the challenges that that I've found in terms of like the church taking it more seriously is is maybe. Like I said, like you highlighted, it, whether they're really interested. So, for example, when myself, Brow Brow, um, were working with Pastor Fuller, you know, he he came with a great, we came with a great plan and strategy, and there was a lot of stuff that we did in terms of like doing training, um, doing um, programs in churches, and um, when it came to the training, so the training was on a Sunday, there wasn't much engagement and. It, it became quite frustrating because on one side we're hearing a cry. There's this issue. We have an issue in our church. What is the church or conference doing? But then when, when we're trying to put programs together, um, there's no attendance. So it's like we're putting this investment, financial investment into this. But you guys, we're getting the best speaker. I think we had Mark Prince, Nathaniel P, we had Pastor Ray. So we had a strong team. Um, but yet it, we didn't get that engagement. And so it, it made you question like, hmm, like what is going on here? How do we kind of overcome this barrier? Um, so for me, um, um, I, you know, but the saying, but in saying that, for example, when I've done my tours, there is a great um, interest. Like, Paul, what can we do? Like, um, and you know, one of the basic ideas I think I mentioned it is like, why don't you, as a men's ministry, um, set up something for the community? You know, where you can offer your services. You know, why don't you use a church? Um, open your doors, you know, whether this is having your Saturday service, open your doors during the week because we know that there's no youth centres in our community, no youth clubs. Why don't you open your doors? Why don't you offer parenting programmes um, during the week? A lot of this parents, you, you know, we have a lot of professionals in our churches. And one of the things that I, I, I've, I've tried to model to the boys and men is get a list of professionals that I work with who can do workshops in our local churches and our communities around everything holistic. So whether you want to get involved in, you want to set up your own business, I've got guys um, who do that and they can do workshop with kids, um, whether it be uh, a workshop around sex, peer pressure, drugs, um, career goals, um, manhood, womanhood. I've got a list of speakers. If I can't do it, then I'll get the team to come in and come to that church to speak about that holistic topic that the young person may find an interest in or the church or the youth in that church. But I feel that there's definitely room for us to work on this area, but I think we just got to keep going. We just got to keep, like I said, the program you're doing now, we have to keep pushing that awareness. But 
for what I've seen, even recently, I spoke at Ilford Lane Church with Clive Jackson. He had a men's day and there was such an interest, like, what can we do more? And, you know, the church can do more. But I think as well, it's not about putting blame to leaders. One advice I said to them, guys, you all have a role to play. I keep getting this. The conference, the pastors, and that's cool. I mean, you know, um, I, I don't want to get into all of that. But my thing is, like, you are the light of the world. You are the soul. Stop pitting the blame. You can help your next door neighbor's son who's on that bad, narrow path and he's 11 years old. Why don't you try and help him, you know, because it's not always about a big project. It could just be the fact that, you know, once a week you give advice to that young person or, you know, you you, you, you make, um, um, you, you know, you make food for someone who's homeless in the area or, you know, there's something simple as that. But I think the key thing is that we all have a role to play. Yes, the corporate church can do great stuff, but individually as well, we all have a role to play to, to, to try and address the social issues in our communities. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think I think we we can definitely keep that momentum going. Um, and mm. from what it sounds like to you, the local is is a lot better um, because it's when you when it's too much from the top down, there is a mm. there is more of a disconnect. Um, mm -hmm. uh, a sense of lacking the understanding of what does it look like to see a young a teenage boy that goes yeah, to church yeah. on a Saturday, sits in the pews, behaves well, plays the, yeah, the yeah, good Christian yeah. Christian part, but then is struggling with these issues, the peer yeah. pressure, the, yeah. the culture. What does that look like? You don't get that yeah. from high up. You only get yeah. that when you're shoulder yeah. to shoulder in the same room yeah. with them. So, so I totally get that. And it's been mm. great. So here's the last thing that I want to, to, mm. to see if you can share with us mm. in your work. Mm. What has been, what stories can you share that has shown the greatest success Mm. Um, in terms of actually helping mm. young people see mm, that mm, there's mm. a, a better future for yeah. them? I think um, it goes back to that point, we kind of mentioned it already, mentoring. Um, I think, like, so for example, recently, I've, I've had young people who I worked with <clears throat> when they were like age 11, 12, who are now in their adulthood, age 24, 23, 25. Um, who are now set up their own businesses and doing so well. But when they were young, they were going through that pathway, gang culture, you know, broken home, had a lot of behavioral issues. But because I, I mentored them from year seven, even to, to now, like this mentor, because mentoring for me is about you investing your time into a young person's life, um, being there for them, having compassion, um, giving them direction giving them support, giving them correction as well, you know, telling them like, you know, yo, like you're doing this wrong. You need to you need to really fix up or this could happen to you. So it's about having that discipline, but just having that, um, that air, you know, when they know that when they come to you, you you're going to listen, not going to judge them, but listen to them and, and nurture them. And I believe that mentoring over the years, I've seen the great success stories where, you know, I've seen my own clients that I worked with <clears throat> in their childhood, now that they're adults, being in like in the national paper, um, <clears throat> a young girl, she works with us now as a chief chef 
for one of the biggest restaurants. And she was in the newspaper. I'm like, what? Like, this is the client that I used to work with. And I, I text her and she's like, yeah, Paul, this is what I'm doing now. You know, I had another young girl, she was on the BBC, one for, for doing this um, thing where she climbed the highest mountain in England. And it was like, wow, this same girl, <coughs> when she was yelling, she was a mess, you know. But again, due to my support, when people were telling me, Paul, she's the worst girl in your year group, <clears throat> I had to give her that support and motivate her and guide her. And, and so um, we were saying this again at, at Ilford Lane Church, because Clarence, I know Clarence is another one that's really big on mentoring, that mentoring is life-changing. Mentoring gives young people consistency. You know, it is. it takes a lot of time and sacrifice and commitment, but when you are committed to making a change it, it will take time out of you you know it, it is a sacrifice but at the same time the rewards are oh, man are so big and and to see young people who can now text me you know can say sir like they still call me sir even though i don't work in this when they've moved on and they're others said, sir man i never forget in 10 years ago what you told me it's helped me, it's shaped me to be who I am today. And it's like, you, you get emotional, you're like, wow, like you don't realize that you are planting seeds in these kids, knowing that these seeds now have grown into these beautiful flowers, you know, and, and they now know who they are and they're fulfilling their purpose. Because I believe all these young kids, whether they're from gangs or not gangs, they all have a calling, they all have a talent, but it's us as adults, it's about us kind of like trying to push that out of them the right support you know so I do believe you know um when you mentor young people and give that commitment um I've seen many young people's lives being changed and transformed and it's just a blessing and you know one of the things that I definitely want to do that when I start doing these tours again in the new year I, I want to bring these young people along with me so they can share their story of, of what where where they came from and where they are today to give the church hope that you know what this this thing can actually works, and and Paul's ministry um, um, is an example of, of of what that looks like practically of mentoring a young person, and now they're adults. So yeah, I, I definitely have seen great success stories over the last few years of of, of young people who have transformed their lives. Oh man, Paul, what you've shared with us is fantastic it's thoroughly mm. inspiring i just want to thank you for the time that you've taken no uh, to be with us and just share with us thank you very much no race sir no race no race no race we hope that you've enjoyed this interview with Paul Frampong and, and you've been inspired. And if you have, there are a couple of things that I want you to do. First, find us on Facebook or Instagram, like and follow and, and share with your friends. But most importantly, we want to contact you to tell you some of the opportunities that you could get involved in in your areas. If you would like us to contact you on that basis, please click on the link where you're seeing this and sign up and give us your email address and we will contact you as soon as we can. Thank you very much.